If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, 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 and happy Wednesday. Today's guest is Alexandra Jamieson. She is making her second appearance on the Mind Body Musings podcast. She is also the best-selling author of Women, Food, and Desire. And in case you didn't recognize the name already, she is the co-creator and co-star of the Oscar-nominated documentary Super Size Me and highly sought-after wellness expert for thousands. She Alexandra has made it her mission to empower women to create epic lives by honoring their cravings and kicking body shame to the curb. Alex is the creator of Her Rules Radio, a number one rated podcast on iTunes where listeners from around the world are educated and captivated by thought-provoking interviews on wellness, cravings, sexuality, and more. I have been on that show. You may want to check it out. Her work has been praised and adored by Oprah, The Today Show, Dr. Oz Goop, Martha Stewart Living, The New York Times, CNN, Fox News, Elle Marie Claire, USA Today, People, and the American Heart Association, amongst many others. As a lifelong learner, her wellness expertise has grown out of a decade of experience, as well as her education at the Natural Gourmet Institute, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and a certification in Applied Positive Psychology. Wow, what a bio. This woman has obviously been there, done that, lived it up, and she is teaching women how to do the same. Today's show sponsor is Fit with two T's. You've heard me mention this a few times, and why is that? It's because I love it. I love Fit. It is the fast and easy way to find a fitness studio, healthy place to eat, outdoor adventure, or upcoming event near you. Fit is on the ground in more than 25 cities and will be expanding into more very quickly. If you want to find healthy eats, coffee shops, whether that be gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, healthy bowls, juices, smoothies, takeout, lunch, places that are just now opening, soft openings, farmer markets, etc. Maybe your thing is more around fitness. You want to find local running routes, Hiking, bike trails, camping spots, parks, green spaces for picnics, marathon training, rock climbing, kayaking, and maybe acro yoga. I don't know. Head on over to Fit with that's two T's, like I said, fit.co slash moon. Fit, F-I-T-T dot co forward slash moon. Select explore and then find Yo City. Two more things. I would like to share a little bit um, of a reminder about my coaching services because I get a lot of Instagram messages or emails around this. So I want to clarify something. I do two types of coaching. I do life coaching and then I do a hybrid of life coaching, business coaching. (laughs) So my life coaching, this is for women or men who are interested in 
transformational life coaching. Maybe you are moving through perfectionism. You want to learn more about the feminine and the masculine. You are still recovering from disordered eating residue or you have body image struggles. Maybe there has been stressful dynamics in your family or you're working through relationship or you just want someone in your court. I have people who just, it feels really good to know that you're speaking to someone every couple weeks who's not a therapist, but a coach. So someone that will hold space for you, but also move you forward, push you forward, be in your court, also call you out for your bullshit whenever you're bullshitting yourself, will lovingly um, push you in the direction of your highest self. And I know that I'm not the one deciding who that is. You know who that is. I'm just helping you uncover it. So that's my life coaching. And then I do, like I said, a hybrid. So women or men who are looking to create online businesses and they still got life stuff they want to talk about. So I don't corner you in to only talk about business stuff. Um, If life things are coming up, maybe you still experience everything that I just mentioned in the life coaching here and there. And you also want to work on creating a online business. You want to build an Instagram following. You want to start a podcast. You want to write a book. You want to start coaching clients of your own. I do coaching in that. The fees are the exact same for either one. So even if you decided you wanted to do uh, life coaching and then play around with the idea of business coaching, that can happen within our sessions together. So if you want to find more information on that, go to maddiemoon.com slash coaching. And on that page, you will read about how long the sessions are. You will see an application to apply. And you can also read many, many testimonies. I highly encourage you to read testimonies of my previous clients so you can get a good idea of the different type of experiences people have had, whether it be from moving across the country or starting a full-on coaching business or working through a pregnancy or working through a death. I have experienced many different coaching clients in it and situations and helped them through it. So I would love to see if we would be a good fit. I've got a couple openings happening um, later in the summer. I have a feeling I'm pretty booked up right now, but if you would like to go ahead and apply, We can email back and forth, get to know each other, hop on a call, and then move on from there. So if you've been looking for a sign, maybe this is it. The last thing is I want you guys to know, I've mentioned so many books. There's two places that that I want to reference you to. The first one is if you're asking me or messaging me or wanting to ask me, what my favorite books are, I have an entire PDF for this. It's maddiemoon.com slash free gift. There's a hundred books in that PDF, a hundred of my favorite books from body image to disorder eating, to um, the feminine, the masculine, to relationships, to abundance and money mindset. I cover so many things, so many different books that have changed the course of my life. So if you want that list, maddiemoon.com slash free gift. There's three gifts, three, three free gifts on that page. So you can get them all if you'd like. The other thing is if you're more of a, um, audio book rather than a reader, a book book person, then you can go to audibletrial.com slash mind body musings and get a free 30 day trial of audible, which includes a free book. So get that 100 plus book list, find a book you're ready to get started listening to audibletrial.com slash mind body musings, get that book for free. If it's in audible version, 
And look at all that, all these resources just throwing them at you. So many things to check out. With all of that said, this episode with Alexandra, oh God, it's so good. I loved it. Um, I really, really, really loved it. So I'm excited to share this with you. I think it's time we head on over. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host. Maddie Moon. And we are back here on the Mind Body Musings podcast. And I'm here for the second time she's making her appearance with Miss Alexandra Jamieson. I'm so excited to dive deep with this beautiful woman. She's doing so many wonderful things in this world. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm always inspired by how she is teaching people how to step more towards the realm of pleasure, of self-love, and of forgiveness of others. So what I really want to talk about today is going to be around relationships and trust. But know that this woman talks about so many beautiful things. Um, her podcast is a must-listen to. And I'm, I'm just ranting now. I'm just like totally raving about all the wonderful things you're up to. So welcome to the show. Oh, go on. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Great to be here with you again. Yeah. So last time you were on was like, I want to say two years ago. Maybe. Very possible. Yeah. And I just read your book, Women, Food, and Desire. Right? Rock on. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So how have you been since then? What big changes have happened? Oh, let's see. I got remarried. Very cool. Uh, I'm now the mom of a middle schooler. I don't know how that happened. That's crazy. <laughs> got a new kitten. All oh, kinds of good things. <laughs> what's the kitten's name? Uh, we have Clementine and Kiwi. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> I love that. All the sweet names. Sweet Yes. It's very deceiving. So before we jump into today's arena, today's topic, which I'm really excited about, you um, you feel like the perfect person to talk about rebuilding trust with in relationships. And the things we're going to talk about are actually pretty new to me. I didn't know this was something that you've gone through so intensely but then once our mutual friend Joni told me like, hey, you got to get her on to talk about rebuilding trust. Uh, I did a really big deep dive into all that I could find about what you've been through. And I'm really excited um, to dive into this. But before we head into that, I was just perusing your Instagram. And this is so not related to the topic of trust, but I love it. And I want to talk about it 
before we okay. go there. Okay. Um, you did an experiment with your son about plants. Can you talk about that? It's just so cute. Yes. So my kid is my inspiration for so much. He's the reason why I went back to school to get a positive psychology certification. Um, he was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADD when he was about six or seven. And he started coming home in first grade hating himself. He... He was sobbing, thinking he was stupid, how he hates his new self. He wished he could be his old self, like before they started reading and writing in school. And it was so heartbreaking as a mom. He's, he's a, he's obviously a wonderful, bright, shiny kid. He just learns differently. That's all. But I didn't know how to help him think differently. And honestly, I was shocked. Like I thought that we had a positive, outlook and I thought that we spoke kind of growth mindset in our house but I you know but the world is is crazy and children are impressionable so I started going back to school I went and got a positive psychology certification so that I could help him learn a growth mindset and and have the vocabulary and the tools to help him see that he has strengths he just might have slightly different strengths that aren't, you know, as valuable at this current moment in our current education system. And one of the things that I started getting into was like the crazy cuckoo woo woo stuff, like, you know, intention experiments and the power of our thoughts. And I came across this experiment where you take some seeds and I chose nasturtium seeds because they're one of my favorite mm -hmm. edible flowers. I grew up growing them with my mom and we put two different pots next to each other, same exact fresh organic filling soil. We planted like four or five seeds of nasturtium in each pot and one was the good one and one was the bad one. And every morning when we got up, we went up and watered all of our plants. We would water the good nasturtium seeds and say, I love you. You're so beautiful. I can't wait to see you. You're growing so good. Go, go, go. And the other pot, the bad pot, we would say, you suck. We hate you. We never want to meet you. You're not our friend. Just like really bad thoughts. And it was remarkable. The good pot that we sent loving intention to grew beautiful flowers and a lot of weeds too. Like the weeds went crazy as well. Grass and clover and all this stuff. And the bad pot only grew a couple of weeds. That was it. And this kind of experiment, you can do it at home. It's been done thousands. Like you'll see examples all over the internet about this. You can do it at home so easily. Try it. It's such a great illustration for kids and adults to see like you, we actually felt bad saying bad things to the bad seeds after a couple of days. I was like, this feels terrible. I hate telling anything that it's terrible and awful. I was like, oh my gosh, we do this to ourselves all the time. So it was such a great illustration to him of the power of our thinking. Mm, I love this so much. So are the plants in the same room or are they in totally different rooms? They're in the, they were, well, they're both, we have a roof deck okay. and it's, it's big. It's the size of our building, but they weren't, you know, they were maybe like five feet away from okay. each other. Cool. Wow. So since doing that experiment, have you noticed any kind of shift within him? Like him realizing it on a new level? Yeah. You know, I think so. He, 
he talks about his efforts in a very positive kind of light way now. Mm. You know, like, yeah, I, you know, I think I did good on that test. You know, I tried. Mm. Like, he doesn't, he's not worrying like he used to. And, you know, a lot of things have happened in the last year, but he, he has become such an artist. His creative bravery and courage is phenomenal. And I don't know if I can tie it to this experiment because it was pretty recent, but all the positive psychology work that we've done and we've done positive psychology children's programs. There's some online that you could do together as a family and just the way we talk about growth mindset versus fixed mindset in our house. It's just a regular topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. Something else I've noticed on your Instagram is you talk a lot about consent and teaching children consent. One thing in particular that I, I, now that I have you here, I've just got to talk to you about this is tickling. Mm. This is really fascinating to me. Like, um, I grew up, so I grew up, there's two examples I'll give. One of them was my dad tickled me constantly every day after work he would come home he would do from that movie liar liar the claw he'd be like the claw and he'd come and grab me like tickle me tickle me tickle me um this became a constant thing and like looking back at my childhood i'm like oh he was doing it out of a place of love he he thought it was funny he made me smile i also will add that i remember hating it like i hated it hated it hated it so that's one example of um of of consent that we're talking about. And I really want to get into this. Another thing that came up to me as a memory, and I would like to hear your thoughts on this. As a child, I needed eye drops, but I didn't want them. I did not want my eye drops ever. So my mom would chase me around the house and then she'd sit on me. She'd pin me down. She'd sit on me. Yeah. Um, and then she would grab both my arms and, and she's joking. She's laughing the whole time. She'd grab both my arms, put them above my head, and put eye drops in my eye. And I, I don't really remember what I looked like or how I acted during this, but I remember running away. And maybe I was doing it because I thought it was funny, or maybe I was doing it out of legit fear. Either way, I know I didn't want those eye drops. So I was thinking about this memory, and I was like, well, I wonder what Alexandra would say about this, about, <laughs> about both of these things. So maybe starting with the tickling, your perspective on, on tickling your kids. Okay. So the whole tickling topic came up because I was talking with my, my new husband, Bob, and in his family, there's not a lot of um, conversation about respect or there's not a safe place to really talk about how you really feel and think about things. Um, in my family, there was a lot more conversation about that growing up. And I'm so eternally grateful for the family I was born into. But we decided that we weren't going to tickle my son um, because he's, you know, he's a, he's very physically sensitive. He's, you know, he plays baseball and he does, you know, a lot of quote unquote boy things, but he's also very sensitive. And I never wanted to um, invade his space without his permission. I, had a similar experience to you. You know, I grew up with so many older uncles and older brother, and I was a real tomboy for a long time. But there were times when tickling was like, I don't want this and no one will listen to me. And everyone expects me to, to laugh. And if I make a fuss or if I cry 
or go complain, then I'm just taking things too seriously and I've ruined the fun for everyone, even though my body was invaded. And tickle torture, you know, it's a it's a yeah. real thing. It's like you can't help but laugh sometimes when it's happening. It's an involuntary response, but that doesn't mean that you like it. And it's just one of the small ways that we teach our children to disregard their bodies or that somebody else has power over their physicality. And it's like something else we don't do, which drives some people in our family crazy, is we don't require or ask my son to kiss or hug family members. We never have. Because mm. um, there were family members that I met. I was like, I have never met this person that you say is my cousin. I'm like, I do not want to go kiss and hug them. That's creepy. Ew. And I hated it. It was like, why are you making me do this? Just to be nice to this person I don't even know. So I've never made him do that. And it's very upsetting to a few people who think that I'm an incredibly bad mother and that I'm rude. I'm teaching him to be rude. But I, uh, listen, he, he's a, a human being. And he wants to feel safe in his body and like I've got his back. And he's a very polite, thoughtful, helpful person. So I'm not doing a bad job. <laughs> there's a lot, but there's a lot of ways that we teach kids to ignore their better instincts. And, you know, it's, it's rampant. So when you say that you ran away from your mom because she needed to give you these eye drops, you know, it makes me wonder, well, what if you had grown up in a house where your physical space wasn't invaded? where you were allowed to have a real conversation. You know, my kid's 11, but we've been having the conversation since he was like three or four mm -hmm. about consent. And, you know, when he needs to take medicine or we have to go get a, you know, draw blood for something or whatever, like we have a real conversation and he trusts me. He trusts me and it's not an issue. I hold his hand or I hold him while something's happening but I don't have to force him to do anything because he knows I've got his back because I've demonstrated it over and over and over again. Does that make sense? Oh my God. Yeah. When you're talking about the value of simple conversation, like I so badly wish I had that in my childhood. It would have shifted so many things. I'm, I'm so grateful for how I turned out and everything is all good. And whoa, what a shift that would have created for me learning about consent, learning about conversation. Like to this day, I, I am, I converse and I, I'm ready to go and have these deeper conversations. I have deeper conversations. I feel with here now with you, <laughs> with my last podcast, podcast guests, with people I'm just now meeting more than with my parents. These things yeah. were more of actions. We're going to do them. We're going to do them you know, if something tragic would happen, move on. If I have a fear, get over it. If I'm not comfortable with something, whatever, like, Oh, another memory. Like I, I, I hated roller coasters when I was a kid. They terrified me, made me cry. I thought I would legit die. And that was their, they, they thought it was hilarious. Like they, they would put me on these rides that terrified me. They'd laugh to get the picture. They'd buy it. They hang the picture up and like, to this day, it's like, remember that funny time where like we made you do this? And I'm, I, it's habitual of me laughing. I don't choose it though. It's, I laugh along with them 
because it's like that insecure child inside of me that's coming out that's like laugh laugh like but it's not it doesn't feel like a choice i'm not really laughing it's not really funny it's an unspoken obligation that we have with our family it's these ties that we had no hand in tying around us it's these invisible threads that we have where we agree that we're going to uh, you know, have these obligations mm-hmm. to each other, even if it's not in your personal best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking of conversation, we just had this happen this last weekend. We went to visit my husband's family and it's always very stressful for him. Their family is very, I mean, it's the epitome of the wasp family. Like they just, they don't talk about their emotions. You're polite and it's very tense and very stressful. And I'm like, I like, this is like alien land to me. Like, can't we just be real with each other? But no. So my husband gets really stressed and we game plan it before we talk about how we're going to handle it. You know, we stay in a hotel now. We don't stay at his mom's house. But the second, by the second day, he was super stressed and it was starting to affect his relationship to me and my son. And Sunday morning before we have our final breakfast and leave town is like, let's have a family meeting in the hotel lobby. So the three of us go down, we get some tea and we talk. And we're like, as I was my kid. I was like, so Lake, and you know that, you know, Bob's relationship with his mom is very stressful. She doesn't really listen to him and she's not very polite to him. And I've, I've noticed that it's starting to affect us. So we just, the three of us had a conversation I had this super high-level adult conversation about emotional intelligence with my 11-year-old and my husband, who's 53. And I'm like, I, after the, at the end of it, I was like, damn, I'm good. And way to go, team. Like, we all gave each other high fives. Like, wasn't that great that we could just talk about what's in our hearts and what's hard and that we still love each other and what we want to see do differently next time and like, God, I wish that I had been able to have this level of clarity when I was younger. Wow. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps. Like I'm like, I'm like, I want that. Like that's the kind of family I'm going to raise and I'm going to to start. And I'm so excited for whenever that arrives. Something that like similar to what we're talking about right now and, and around Bob and his dynamics with his family so as I've been unpacking these things, like things I'm t- telling you and, and much deeper things, just understanding my family dynamics a lot more. There's a lot of grief going on, a lot of like sadness of coming to terms with how there was certain manipulation tactics and abuse. And while I'm going through my own process, I need distance. My family lives right by me and, and they don't understand this. And so anytime I try to go into, not that I try often, but when I do try to go into explaining what's going on for me and how I'm working on my own healing process, it immediately becomes like, um, either for my dad, move on, get over it. It's in the past. And my thought to that is like, well, that's a luxury you have. This is my entire life. Right. Um, and then with my mom, it's more about like her being like, can, I can't even believe you would allow your mother to experience this pain that you're putting me through without even hearing what my healing is. There's no questions about what are you going through, Madeline? Like, what's the memory coming up for you? It's only you're hurting your mother. How, like, how dare you think that this is okay? And like all of that. And so this, them being so close, this, and my sister being here as well, this is very, very, very hard to maneuver of setting these boundaries and not getting lost into the guilt. 
And I keep having to go through this circle and this, this cycle in my head of like, here's why I'm doing it. Here's the emotions I'm feeling of, of guilt and betrayal. And I'm the bad one. Wait, no, I'm not going back up to the circle. Like, no, I'm not. I'm doing this to like heal my heart. So whenever I want to have a family, I know how to communicate with them. And I got to get clear on my own healing first. So I, I'm bringing this up not only for my own personal gain of understanding what your thoughts are on this, but I know so many uh, listeners of this show are going through their own healing experiences with their family, and they're balancing that with boundaries and that guilt that comes along with setting the boundaries. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. You know, um, I interviewed Stephen Cope a while back on my show. He wrote the book called Soul Friends, which is probably my favorite book of last year, uh, all about the different kinds of friendships that we have in our life and what those different friendships do for us. And one of the things we talked about was how we learn ourselves through our relationships with other people. That's just how human beings work. Mm. We learn ourselves through how we interact with and how other people mirror back to us and how we feel physically when we're with them. We feel our rough edges. We smooth out our spaces sometimes over time with them. So that's part of it. Like it's absolutely a lifelong journey and getting comfortable with that is I think really important. Like, Oh, like there's no end point to this. I'm going to be discovering myself my entire life if I'm open to it. And I am for sure. I have signed up for the lifelong learner pass. Um, and it's a challenge. Like you really sign yourself up for beautiful insights and gorgeous moments of clarity. And you sign yourself up for, oh, wow, like I'm uncovering this or, oh, I'm on this again. <laughs> Why am I dealing with this again? And then there's this idea of, you know, this, this spiral that you mentioned. And I had one, I had a couple clients say, I feel like I'm in this downward spiral. Like, why am I, why this again? Why? Oh, I thought I was over this already. And I was like, well, what if we inverted it and flipped it up? Like it was an upward staircase and that we're coming around at the same point again, but we've, we've learned a little bit more. We've changed a little bit more. We are growing. And every time we come around to it, we have learned more. We have healed more. It's like a, you know, a new layer has come off. So if it's a lifelong journey and if we're keep, we're keep going, then maybe it all is still in the right direction and just to keep uh, expecting for it to come around again. Mm. And then you know, I, I steal this from my dear husband who's done a lot of uh, 12-step work in his past. And he's, you know, he's told me two sayings over and over again that I really appreciate. I'm like, thank you. Now I don't even have to go to a meeting. Um, one is, you know, don't go to the hardware store for milk. Like there are certain people you can't, like when you know them, you know you can't get certain things from them. Mm, yes. <laughs> And, um, and then the last one is, you know, if you find yourself in a place where you need to detach from someone, detach with love. And if you can't detach with love, detach with a hatchet. Like at a certain point, there are relations, and I don't think this is what you're talking about, but I don't know. Um, there are certain relationships that I've been in where I have had to cut them off. 
And sometimes I've been able to do it with love and very gently. And sometimes it is just with a hatchet, like, nope, you're out. And it's always challenging. Do you it's have, always challenging. Is there a small way you could, uh, and I know this is a huge topic and that's why I say something like small that will allow people to know the distinction between the two. What does it feel like when you're ready for the hatchet? How much more pain are you willing to endure? Mm. I find hitting bottom to be an incredibly useful life experience. I've hit bottom. I know you have. I've hit bottom many times in my life. I call my life a series of successful failures. Mm. Uh, relationships, cities, careers, mm. <laughs> friendships, all kinds of things. And I love my life. And I've gotten to where I am now by getting to the point where uh, some things are just too painful to endure. Mm. And if, you know, I sometimes consider myself lucky, I think I have a pretty low pain threshold for certain things. Like I, I know that there are better options out there for me, whether it's people, places, or things. And like, are you, how much are you willing to endure you know, are you comfortable um, putting yourself through torture that's not necessary? Like, these are really, these are questions to ponder. Like, how painful is it, really? Are you covering up that pain with food, alcohol, shopping, whatever? If you, if you stopped doing all of that stuff, how painful is it? Mm -hmm. Is it painful enough for you to do anything? That's the question to get to. Mm -hmm. And what I notice in people with this higher pain threshold, like people that would mean that they accept a lot of pain, right? They have a higher pain. Yes. Okay. So people who are allowing a lot of pain in their life, what I've noticed is that it's because they don't feel they are worthy enough to have those boundaries. Like they don't see themselves as like other people can have boundaries and really choose who their tribe is and people that will be led into their life, but they can't. Maybe because they owe some, they owe their mother something, they owe their father something, they owe everyone else something except for themselves. Right. Again, back to the obligations, mm -hmm. um, the unspoken obligations. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And I, I hope I don't come across as flippant in this conversation. I really feel for everyone who is in pain and suffering and challenged by this right now. I've, I've been there. I, you know, I've been, you know, here's the other thing that people get comfortable with is perhaps you were raised in a family where drama was the norm and drama is as addictive as sugar for some people, mm. you know, uh, being in dramatic fights all the time, people are picking on me, you know, taking the victim stance. That's a learned thing. We learn to be victims and when we have to start taking responsibility for ourselves and our lives, we're no longer, we can no longer indulge in taking the victim stance. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. That's so true of when you're raised in a particular environment. Like for me, it was the repression of real conversation, the repression of sexuality, the repression of exploration of who you really are. Um, very conservative, very black or white thinking, religious. There was no exploration outside of that. Um, and then also using tactics of manipulation to get what you want rather than voicing, can I have this? How do you feel about this? Rather than asking the other person, how are you? You know, 
And, and that is what I thought was normal for so long. Like it took me years in the personal development world to finally apply what I was learning to my family. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I didn't want to like, yeah, I'm all about like your vibe attracts your tribe and, and authenticity and crucial conversations and, uh, abundance and like love and unconditional love and all that is well and good out into the world. But over here in this little pocket, this little family over here, like that's just, let's just leave that for now. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest quotes ever in my life. I don't know if it was Wayne Dyer or Ram Das or somebody who said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend the weekend with your parents. <laughs> I heard that recently. I think it was like last week and I was like, whoa. That's so true. Uh, Okay. Segwaying now into, um, into some, some trust conversation, which is is so beautiful. It all goes in together into the same things, but I want to hear your story in, in trust with your previous relationship and some of the, um, recent trials that you've experienced and what you've gone through. Yeah. So I was famously married to a famous dude. We, neither of us, nobody knew who we were when we met, when we got married. Um, uh, Morgan Spurlock, he and I made the movie Supersize Me together. Um, we were, you know, up and coming rabble rousers. I was a food revolutionary. He was a young filmmaker. We brought our passions together to make this one crazy and, you know, who knew it would be so successful movie. And, you know, we were together for 11 years. We had my son together. And towards the end of our relationship, you know, I discovered that he was not trustworthy. I discovered that he was having an affair. And we, you know, we tried to work through it. But there were a lot of other issues going on as well. And we just could not rebuild the trust. And I'm a, you know, I am definitely a person who believes in, like, if feels like this is a worthy investment. Like I will do the work. We went to therapy, we did all the things, but it just didn't feel like he was really there. He wasn't talking about the problems that we needed to talk about. He just, he just wasn't showing up. So we started divorce proceedings and we started going through the divorce and, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting. There's so many levels to this, but you know, the, the affair was one thing and, you know, I don't know. I don't think affairs have to be the end all to a relationship. I really don't. I think that they can actually bring people together. They can actually heal relationships. Like many people have discovered a greater relationship together on the other side of infidelity. Um, that was not our case. After, as we were getting divorced was when I kind of had my infamous coming out as no longer vegan. And, you know, I had been vegan for over 10 years and, you know, had written three vegan cookbooks and I started having all these health problems. So I finally came out as no longer vegan and it went crazy viral online, not in a way that I had wanted to, but it did. And I mean, shit was going crazy. Thousands of shares, thousands of Facebook posts. It was so overwhelming. And I reached out to him. You know, we share a kid. So we see each other once or twice a week. I said, look, this is going on. And a supportive tweet or Facebook post from you would really be helpful. Because I'm getting eviscerated online. I was getting death threat emails. Like I had to send them to him in case we needed to take action. Crazy stuff. And he was like, I'll think about it. Let me take a look at it. And instead of being supported 
by him. He wrote me some, you know, he emailed me and CC'd his lawyer saying that I was inaccurately describing myself as a co-producer of Supersize Me when I didn't have a co-producer title on the film. Anyway, he just, I felt thrown under the bus. And it really shocked me. And it felt like such a kick to the gut. Like I was down on the ground and he just came over and smacked me. So my trust with him was really destroyed and it was so hard to keep taking the goddamn high road after that. I, one thing I learned from my father over the years, my parents went through a nasty divorce and my mom said all kinds of terrible things about my dad and I didn't realize it at the time, but it really ripped me in two. And there's there's a whole psychological term about this. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like parental alienation. And if you tell your kid, your father is an asshole, that's worse than telling the kid that the kid is an asshole. Whoa. It rips the kid in two mm. because you identify as half the other person and it's something you can't change, right? If you're an asshole, you can change your behavior. But you can't change the fact that you have half your DNA from that person. Oh. Right? Whoa. That's like, I, I always had this gut instinct about this. Like, this can't be right hearing these things about this parent. And the, wow. Because it's out of your control. This is yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So I, I looked back, I learned about that in positive psychology as well. And I talked to my dad who never said one bad thing about my mom and he had plenty of opportunities too. Now, my dad was a high school principal for 25 years. He saw all the family drama you could ever imagine on a Jerry Springer stage. He, he's like, Oh my gosh, the families were so hard to deal with. Um, so he, he was like, listen, do not Take yourself down to the level. You need to consider the long-term effects on your child. There are things you can do in the privacy of a courtroom or in a room with your lawyers. You can complain to your husband. But even, you know, even that you need to keep in check because energetically it's going to show up and your kid is going to feel it. So I, I knew from, you know, from the time my kid was two when we were getting divorced that I really needed to have this area of healing as a top priority. And I think Danielle Laporte said it really well. She's like, big heart, strong fence. Like I can have a big heart and be really aware and on my spiritual path. And I have really clear boundaries. Mm. Like this is what I tolerate and this is what I don't tolerate. So then things got even more complicated this winter and my kid is now just turning 11. I actually was on Percocet of all things because I had this crazy knee reconstruction and, uh, you know, the whole Me Too movement was just popping at the end of last year and I, my dad was actually in town taking care of me so my husband could go on a business trip. We send my kid off to school one morning. My dad closes the door and he turns around and he said, have you heard about Morgan? And I was like, what? And he showed me the blog post and my ex-husband had written this whole blog post on Twitter outing himself as having, he said, it was called, I'm part of the problem. And he admitted to a lot of things, um, having 
finally he admitted that he cheated on me. He cheated on his other exes, etc. cetera. Uh, he, he admitted to a lot of stuff. Now he was nowhere near Harvey Weinstein level of bad. He basically, he's guilty of encouraging a, a, a sexist, unsafe workplace that had a lot of sexual innuendo thrown around. Women felt, you know, creeped out and unsafe to work in his company. So he was owning up to that, which like, good, good for you. Um, but you could have told me the mother of your child, you were about to do this because it was all over the news for several days. And I didn't know what to do. He hadn't told me. He hadn't told his current wife, who also has a little boy with him. So all of a sudden, we're thrown into the spotlight again. And I had to figure out how to tell my 11-year-old son what was going on, because he's in middle school now. And there's eighth graders. And they know who his dad is. And they might say something stupid to him. So I game planned it really great. If you ever have a crisis, here's what you do. <laughs> okay. We got him home after school. I actually called the school to talk to the school director. She's like, okay, great. We'll keep our eyes open. We got him home, sent everybody else out for dinner. We ordered in burgers. We watched his favorite show on TV, make sure he was fed and happy, right? Calm night. And then I said, hey, sweetie, we need to talk. And we had an, an 11-year-old level of conversation about what had happened. And it was very, very hard. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of his dad. He went away to rehab. He definitely had an alcohol problem. He admitted to that. He went away for a month, got a lot of help. Um, but what the craziest part that came out of this so far was that his wife is the woman he left me for. And I have always kept her at arm's distance. I'm very polite. I never say anything bad about her, but I've never trusted her. And, then, you know, there are a lot of things I don't trust his dad about either. Just as a couple, I just keep them at arm's length. We talk about our child care. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> People ask me, so what's Morgan up to these days? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you go Google him. <laughs> but. She called me the morning this all went down and said, is your son okay? I didn't know this was happening. Are you guys all right? She was worried about her stepson. She was worried about my kid, our kid. And I, I said, oh my gosh, are you okay? She has a toddler. She had a year and a half year old at home. And she was trying to deal with this and the publicity. Like she was in the middle of a storm and she was reaching out to me. And all of that anger and jealousy and mistrust. And believe me, I have done everything possible over the last eight years to heal this. I'm like, I need to not hate them so much. I need to not have so much charge and energy around them. I've done everything. I've done therapy. I've done family constellation work. I've done fire burning ceremonies. I'm prayed to the moon. I mean, everything you can think of. So my intention to forgive and let go has always been there, but I just couldn't do it until that moment when all that mattered was our kids. And she reached out to me and said, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I said, please come over for dinner. You must be exhausted. And I was like, oh my God, did I just invite her over for dinner? <laughs> 
I was like, yes, I did. All right. I'm proud of me. Way to go. <laughs> and they came over and we got the boys together several times over the course of that month that their dad was away. And we just, you know, we're, we're not besties, but the, the anger and the weirdness is gone. We see what's important now. The past is gone. It doesn't matter anymore. But I think that was only possible because both of us were in this moment. It was a crisis. And we're like, mm. how can we both support each other and our children? That's what's important. Mm. It wasn't about all the other bullshit. Wow. I have so many goosebumps right now. <laughs> this is amazing. Like the first thing that's coming up, I mean, so much is coming up for me, but the first thing is you were experiencing such a crisis, such a crisis. And all of the work that you did beforehand so divinely was leading up to you being able to handle this crisis. And instead of getting absolutely, completely lost, devastated, obliterated, broken, beaten down, absorbed, and all that you could have, because that opportunity was there for you to just like go down the, down the spiral like we were talking about earlier. But instead you use this as such a, a tool to be able to get perspective on what is really important. And that is your, your children and coming together and, and having a meal together. And, and like you said, not being besties, but healing something that only a shared experience like that could heal. Yeah, it was really beautiful. I'm so glad this, this came out of it. And, um, yeah, you know, you never know what the path of healing is going to look like. We have an intention. We can have a very clear intention for what we want to heal. Mm -hmm. But we don't have control over how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So knowing this now, knowing that, like, uh, this is the moment where the, the real healing would take place. If you could go back and change anything about the methods you, you tried in order to heal, in order to forgive, and trying to let go of hate, would you change anything? Would, would, or would you leave it all the same and let it lead up to exactly the way it happened? No, I wouldn't change anything. And I'm thinking about I mean, all the retreats I went on and all the... I mean, I in, I've invested... A you know probably a graduate school level amount of money in my healing and my growth over the last mm -hmm. 15 20 years and it was all worth it mm. who knows if I would have gotten here without it probably not in the same way and everything was valuable in some way oh, yes yes I love it okay my question for you is around you and Bob. So I've, I, as far as I know, I haven't been cheated on. The, the feeling that comes with being cheated on, I've, I've had my trust broken. Uh, I was with someone for a year on and off that had children and a wife that I didn't know about. So I know what having trust broken can feel like. The cheating, I am, I'm, uh, not of that space. I don't know what that is like. I have clients though that have come to me and been like, I've been cheated on. I've been hurt. You know, we're getting emails. I know you probably get many, many emails of women that have gone through her horrendous experiences of having their hearts just torn apart by partners doing things with other women outside of their relationship. 
So I'm wondering what that was like for you to go from being cheated on and having there having been infidelity and entering a new partnership. Even the little things like his phone goes off in the middle of the night or he doesn't give you all the insight to what he did the night before. How did you learn to, if you, if you struggled with that, let go and, and not get all the answers and not get in your head? This is going to blow your mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, how I met Bob was quite a journey. Um, it was probably a year and a half uh, through the divorce process where I was just really depressed and not sexual at all. And finally, a couple of friends were like, just get laid, like, please. And then I started eating meat again, and my hormones and my anemia turned around. And I was like, oh, I finally had some energy, and my libido came back because my hormones were balanced again. So I was like, oh, you know what? I've never dated. I have been a serial monogamist my entire life. I've never, like, dated. So I started dating like it was my job And over about 18 months, I had over 100 first dates. Way easier to do in New York City than some other places. We have a lot of people here. But um, it was sometimes horrific and sometimes very entertaining. But like we said before, I really learned myself through that process. I learned to trust my body and what she wanted, what she liked, what she didn't like, stuff that weirded her out. I just trusted her like okay that guy was good on paper or he was cute but nope not going out with him again so I learned a lot through that process when I met Bob um you know one thing that spoke really well of him when I met him was that he was connected to several women that I knew already and they all loved him they all loved him I was like wow he's got a lot of cool girlfriends like women I really respect and like like this is this is cool. Um, he was also 10 years older and he was super honest with me on our first date about who he was and what he was like. And he's like, if you want to leave now, I totally understand. Um, you know, he has since come out, so I'm free to talk about this, but we haven't talked about this much. Um, he, on our very first date, he was like, I teach rope bondage workshops to couples and I was in a sex cult for a couple years and I'm kind of putting my life back together after that. I was like, tell me everything. This is fascinating. Um, so I was simultaneously freaked out and very intrigued and he was very respectful and he would not sleep with me on the first date, even though I really wanted to. (laughs) So I was like, okay, he's got some boundaries himself. This is good. Um, he was just very honest. He's like, look, I, um, I've made a lot of mistakes. He was married three times before we met. Wow. I'm, I'm his fourth wife. Can you believe it? So I, he was not good on paper. Like he was getting out of debt. He had been married three times. He had been in a sex cult. All these things. It's called one taste. Just encouraging everyone to like, be careful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was so honest with me, but not in a way that was trying to be manipulative or he just, he felt safe. I felt like I could trust him. And the more I got to know him, the more I 
believed him. It's like this is this is who he is. He knows what he wants, um, and that was really really powerful. Mm. Um, you know, we have a monogamish relationship. You know, from the beginning, we have had a an interesting compact, and it's not. Uh, we don't call ourselves polyamorous because that. You know, that speaks to having outside relationships. We don't have relationships, per se, with other people, but we are free to flirt and go out and even sleep with other people. Um, it's not something that I'm ashamed of, but again, I do have a kid, so I'm, I don't talk about this a lot. I don't think my son's going to be listening to your podcast, so I feel okay <laughs> sharing this with you. But what's really kind of shocking to me sometimes, even still, you know, we've been together seven years and I'm still kind of shocked. I'm like, wow, I trust you more than I ever trusted my first husband. Mm-hmm. And I know you're going out with a hot, like, 28-year-old tonight. Like, it does not bother me at all. People ask me, my, my, my friends ask me, like, aren't you jealous? Like, doesn't that ever bother you? I'm like, no, it doesn't. Because I know, and he tells me all the time, I'm the best thing that ever happened to him. Mm-hmm. And I believe it. And you know what? He's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I just really want him to be happy. There's this idea, there's this word called compersion. It's the opposite of jealousy. Compersion is when you're really happy for someone when they're being fed by other people's energy or relationship. So we have an ongoing conversation in our relationship about what our boundaries are and what's working for us. And we're just, we're really good at this conversation. It's going on and it's going beautifully. Wow. Oh my God, this is so freaking good. First off, I, I just die from joy when I hear stories about people that find their match who were not originally perfect on paper. And it, it, it's healing for me. It's very healing for me just because I was raised with so many like paper, writing everything down on paper, like this is what, it, and, and the past six years has been a, a process of me of unraveling that mindset of knowing that everything could be on paper, but why is the depth like not there? Something must be wrong with me. Like it all has all the stuff on paper. So I love hearing these stories. Like the fact you went on this first date and all the truth was laid out and you were able to be scared, but like the, the extent of truth that was shared with you, how deep he went from the start immediately showed how much he respected you and your time. And that I think is a, a gift should be a human right. You know, shouldn't be a gift. (laughs) We should all, we should all get honesty, but since we don't, it feels like such a treat. It feels like such a gift when someone without even really knowing you is like, I honor you and I respect you. So here's who I am. And I honor and respect myself. Yeah, so I'm going to show it. up. I'm going to show up exactly how I am. Yeah, that's it. Well, how, how many of us have done the, the challenging yet rewarding work of being able to be honest with ourselves mm, yeah. so that we're then brave enough to be honest with other people? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's how that's how he showed up, and that's what made me trust him. 
this this level of depth that you have with him, and I love everything you shared about monogamish. <laughs> That's great. This um, this level of depth of you you trust him. You just can. You just trust him. Like it's so beautiful. What if someone is with someone that doesn't naturally think of opening up about their heart's truth or their honesty or their thoughts? Like maybe more. I don't want to use the word a more simple man, but someone who's not quite as in touch with themselves, like the work that they're here to do in the world or their emotions. Can we evoke that as, as the feminine? Can we evoke that within them, their desire to go down into that depth of truth? So, oh man, I wish that we were further along in this process, but Bob and I wrote a book together that's coming out soon. All about this. Yay. (laughs) So it's called, it's going to be called getting to hell. Yes. And that's a take on an old classic business book called Getting to Yes. So it's called Getting to Hell Yes. And it's like the four agreements for how to have a high stakes emotional conversation. So it's a very simple four part conversation structure that you can use in any situation with anyone. And it really honors the feminine and the masculine because the masculine loves the four part structure, (laughs) but it holds the space for the emotions to come out. So it's very simple. I'm going to teach it to everyone. And then everyone who uses it, you have to go buy the book when it comes out. Yes. (laughs) Yes. This this is the question. This is such an important question. This topic. Oh my God. How do you talk about stuff? Well, so I'm going to preface this by saying that high stakes, like emotional, important conversations that used to be framed with, we have to talk about something used to scare the shit out of me because I really had the mindset that if we're going to have an argument or have an important conversation, somebody's got to win and somebody's going to lose. Like you're either going to be wrong and then I'm going to feel bad because I'm going to have to demonstrate that I've been keeping score or I'm going to be wrong and I'm going to feel like an asshole. So this four part conversation structure, everybody can win. It's about getting into alignment. That's it. So it's very simple. You share your intentions You each share your intentions. I share why we're going to do this thing that we're going to do, what we're talking about. You just get clear. We're going to talk about XYZ uh, because I want to XYZ. Mm -hmm. And then the other person shares as as clear as you can get it. Nothing's perfect, right? You just have some some compassion for each other. It might be hard to get it through it the first couple times. And then you share your concerns, all, and you lay them all out on the table. Like, I'm concerned you won't love me anymore. Or I'm concerned that I'm going to get stressed out and I'm going to do something stupid. Or I'm concerned that this is going to happen. Just all your worries, all your fears, all your concerns. Even if they're totally, like, you don't really think they're going to happen, but it's still plaguing you. Like, have, again, have the space to be like, okay, I, I'm not taking this personally. I understand that this is just a fear in your amygdala or your lizard brain that is popping up. And you also don't want to ask, you know, you don't want to argue points through this conversation. You can ask clarifying questions, but you're just there to listen to each other. And then you go into boundaries. So it's intentions, concerns, and then boundaries. After you've both shared your concerns, you both share your boundaries as you can think of them now. And boundaries can change in the future in another conversation, but you talk about the stuff you don't want to do or you don't want to have happen 
around this particular issue. So going back to, we, we had this conversation as a couple talking about going to my mother-in-law's last weekend. (laughs) My boundary is we don't stay at her house anymore. We stay at a hotel. Mm. My boundary is we don't stay more than one night. My boundary is we, you know, I need to be able to leave and take the car so I can go to Starbucks and sit by myself for an hour or go to go on a walk. Like those are my boundaries. And then the other person shares their boundaries. Now, another caveat, you're not getting everything. You're not ordering off a menu. You're not opening a catalog and you get to order everything in your size and color. Like you're just sharing what your ideals would be so that you can see where you can get into alignment and, you know, make some adjustments together. And finally, after your intentions, concerns, and boundaries, you end on desire. Always end on a high note. (laughs) So what are your desires? What do you really want out of this issue? What do you really want out of this weekend? Um, We actually use this process to plan our wedding. Our big desire turned out to be high joy, low drama. Like if it was going to be high drama, anything, boom, it's out. Uh. So we ended up like, all right, I want to get married in the park that I can walk to in five minutes. And then we're having a reception at the restaurant around the corner so I can then walk home. It's like, I don't want to deal with buses or transportation. I love it. High joy, low drama. Yeah. (laughs) So what are your desires? What would be the ultimate best possible outcome for this Mm -hmm. thing? How, How do you want to feel about each other at the end of it? What will it do for you? together as a family or as a couple, like really connect with the highest version of this possibility. Mm. And going through this process, I've taught it to friends, clients, Bob teaches it in boardrooms in some of the biggest companies in the world. People love it. You can use it to build teams, to hire. You can use it in relationships. We use it with our son, like intentions, concerns, boundaries, desires. We're going to have the whole book out on Amazon in the next few months. So we'll keep oh, you posted. <laughs> awesome. That's soon. Okay. Yeah. So whenever it's out, send me, send, like, let me know and I'll make sure I get the uh, link to it on the show notes. But in the meantime, everyone just keep your eyes out. That's great. I love, and I, I love it. You said, um, it's not about ordering off a menu because sometimes like I can already see this happening. People are probably taking notes right now and they're like, all right, so I've got to get my blueprint out and get really crystal, crystal clear on what I want and, and, and trust that it will happen. And, and that's the joy of doing something like this is because it's a one way that, um, it was told to me is like, it's a sandbox. So the sand, the sand stays all in the sandbox and the sandbox, the box part is the container for all the grain, the grains and the toys and whatever. It's free range being inside of the sandbox. So there's no right or wrong. It's not about getting everything that you want. It's about letting your fears, your thoughts, your intentions, your desires, everything just breathe. Letting it get acknowledged and validated in some breathing room doesn't mean it's all going to happen, but it gives you a safe space to say it out loud and there not be judgment that comes up. Yeah, absolutely. And again, going back to the masculine feminine, I know there are men and women who feel more comfortable knowing what the game plan is. Like, what are the bullet points that we're about to go through? You know, and some people in a relationship are benefited by giving, like handing them the structure, just saying, hey, I'd like to have a conversation tomorrow after lunch. And, you know, we can talk about this thing that we've been dealing with. And here's the four things that I thought we could break this down into. 
Like, give somebody a, a heads up. Give yeah. them 24 hours to think about it. It's really compassionate. Some people need time to think and process. And, um, you know, we, we put so much pressure on each other to get things right and perfect. So, yeah, give it a try. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Do you have time for a, a quick fire round? You betcha. Okay, sweet. So before we head on over there, I'll have all your links in the show notes for this, but where can people connect with you online if they're listening in their car and they just want to hear it? Oh, you can go to herrulesradio.com. Got four years of podcasts up. Um, and I, pl- I hang out on Instagram a lot at deliciousalex. Perfect. Like I said, all those links will be on the show notes for this episode 209 and quick fire round time. All right. What's your mantra right now? Oh, man. One. I love money and money loves me. <laughs> Such a good one. I love that. Um, what's your spirit animal? Right now it's orcas. Oh, orcas. Kill- killer whales. Yes. Because they are the, um, the intermediary between earth and the spiritual mystery plane. Three items you would love to have if you were stranded on an island. <sighs> a life straw, uh, a Kindle, and a solar powered a solar powered Kindle. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> and a knife. And a, really a knife. knife. Okay. <laughs> what is one one must read book that you've enjoyed so far in this year? Mm. Dodging Energy Vampires by Christian Northrup. I just listened to that interview that you did with her. Blew my mind out of the water. I think I put it on Instagram, my Instagram stories twice because I listened it into two parts. And the first time I was like, you guys got to listen to this. It's so good. This is the best <laughs> interview ever. And then when I finished it, I was like, you guys got to listen to it. This is, it's the best interview ever. I, I haven't gotten the book yet, but that interview, I'll, I'll have a link to that on the show notes because that was, a, oh my God, it was so good. I want to read the book. Such a necessary book. Great stories and examples and really great easy techniques to use with your personal energy vampire. Oh, those, those are my favorite, the easy techniques. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right now, what's your favorite place to think? My roof deck. I have a wonderful garden and a hammock. Mm. What song are we most likely to find you jamming out to right now? Oh, right now it's Janelle Monet, her whole new album, Dirty Computer, but Pink is my favorite song. Pink song. Okay. I'll, I'll look, I'll look that up. I don't think I've heard that before. You have to watch. She made a whole emotion picture. It's like a 45 minute long music video. It's astounding. Whoa. She is, she is my spirit animal. Okay. I will find that. That sounds amazing. Last question I will ask. What's one word you absolutely love to use? Oh, oh, oh. Um, it's not balance. It's equanimity. Ooh. Equanimity is like your ability to maintain your center even in the face of chaos. Mm, equanimity. That's fun to say. It is. I bet everyone <laughs> is saying that right now out loud. Equanimity. <laughs> I don't even know if I've heard that word ever. Oh, I love it. Okay. 
Alexandra, thank you so much for coming on the Mind Body Musings podcast. This was such a juicy conversation. We covered so many different things and like your brain and all the positive psychology that you know. I find it so fascinating. So thank you for for doing this work in the world. We need it. Mm, thanks for having me. This was really fun. I appreciate your time. Y'all go over to the show notes for this episode 209, click on her Instagram, her website, go subscribe to her podcast and keep your eye out for that book because it's going to be amazing. See you guys next week. Let us know what you loved about this podcast by going to the Instagram post or commenting on the show notes and we'll see you soon. 